Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair. Today on the show, I've got Dr. Todd Cameron discussing HRT, hormone replacement therapy, in perimenopausal, menopausal, and postmenopausal women. I think this is a really, really important uh, conversation. If you're a woman in that uh, stage of life, this is really, really vital information, uh, living your best life. It's something that requires a doctor's care, not just supplementation, although supplementation can play a major role in balancing all of this uh, craziness that happens in the menopausal years as well. Dr. Cameron discusses the history of HRT. He discusses uh, the fallacies that are oftentimes common belief now when it comes to hormone replacement therapy. He discusses his approach as a functional medicine doctor as opposed to the standard approach uh, that most medical doctors take. I think you're going to really, really appreciate what you hear on this show and learn a lot about the critical time of life um, that is menopause and what can be done about it uh, in the safest and most effective way, not only to manage symptoms, but also prevent many of the downfalls that happen after that stage of life for women here in America. Dr. Todd Cameron, welcome back to Vitality Radio. Thank you, Jared. It's a pleasure to be here. I love talking with you over the phone like this. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, these shows have been uh, great for me, too. You teach me something every time, and that's one of my favorite parts about doing this show is that I get to learn along with the audience. So I'm excited to learn more from you today. So for uh, just a quick background for people who have not heard me talk to uh, Dr. Cameron before, he is my personal physician, uh, has been for, I'm going to say, at least 12, 15 years, something like that. I don't know. I can't ever keep track all that stuff i know i'd have to look back in the record i bet it's been at least 15 anyway and uh i've i've taken kids to him and i've taken uh and and referred lots of people to him over the years uh we don't have any kind of a financial relationship other than i pay him to take care of me and sometimes uh he sends people over to buy vitamins so there's been a lot of controversy over the years with HRT and what's safe and what isn't safe. There's been some studies that have come out that have alarmed some people. Can you tell us a little bit about what you understand and what your feelings are on the history of hormone replacement therapy for women? Oh, yeah. So just a little background for me. Um, I got interested and in, I've been studying uh, hormones since about 1996, 1997. And there's a lot of camps out there, Jared. There's a lot of different thought uh, camps, what I call camps. And uh, I've had an opportunity to study with most of them uh, that are in the United States anyway. Uh, even, even Terry Hertog from Belgium back in the early 2000s, he did a round uh, conferences around the United States back in the early 2000s and, I, and actually came to Salt Lake. So I went to one of them. That was interesting. Back in that day, uh, back in the latter 90s, early 2000s, uh, you know, Northern Europe was, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit ahead of us in hormone replacement therapy. So 
um, to cut to the chase, because I know we don't have a whole lot of time on this one, there's, it, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, there's been a number of studies that have been funded by uh, large pharmaceutical companies. Uh, the most uh, cited study is the Women's Health Initiative Trial, WHI trial. And it was, um, it, it was, uh, it ended in the early 2000s. And I'll go into that in a moment. Uh, prior to that and after that, there's been some others. There's been like the HERS trial, H-E-R-S, the PEPI trial, progesterone estrogen prevention initiative. Um, and it was the WHI trial that basically put a, the nail in the coffin of, uh, you know, especially postmenopausal uh, use of bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. But it wasn't bioidentical. It was... Um, in the study itself, in the in the Women's Health Initiative trial, uh, they used the words estrogen and progesterone. But interestingly enough, the estrogen was uh, Premarin, which is pregnant Mary urine. Uh, you know, it's ten conjugated equine uh, estrogens, and um, that doesn't actually exist in a in a female. Now, I, but I'll just from my perspective, if I was a if I was a postmenopausal woman. And Premarin was the only estrogen that was available to me versus estradiol, and we'll go into that in a moment. I'd probably use it. The real problem uh, was one of the main problems was the progesterone, and again, the word progesterone was used in the trial, but the the actual substance was madroxyprogesterone, uh, uh, Provera, a synthetic form of progestin, and it was not bioidentical. So anyway, what happened with the Women's Health Initiative is when it came out, the, the head investigators actually stopped the trial and they claimed they had to do it because it was causing a, a very high increase in breast cancer. Um, later on, as that data was was combed through, uh, that data was erroneous. Uh, that's not what happened. Um, and the unfortunate thing is the Women's Health Initiative trial is the most cited study, at least in the United States, if not the world, the United States for sure, um, as to why postmenopausal women should avoid hormone replacement therapy because it increases risk of breast cancer. Well, that's not true. That's that's uh, if if you use estradiol, um, it's very different than using Premarin or ethanol estradiol or you know another synthetic form of estrogen that doesn't exist in nature. So the the interesting, and, and I'll just cut to the chase in the interest of time, any, any study that has ever been uh, funded by the large pharmaceutical companies ha- on women postmenopausally using hormones has shown a negative outcome. But from research, uh, researchers all over the world for decades published peer-reviewed research that is not backed by large pharmaceutical companies there's, there's not been one negative study. There's, there's actually not one negative study, Jared, uh, using progesterone, the actual human bioidentical progesterone, and estradiol that has had a negative outcome. There is not one published study. Now, how do I know that? Because I study with uh, WorldLink Medical, um, and they have Dr. Neil Rousier, who is one of my main mentors, has been since 2003, in hormone replacement study. Um, this is one of his original books, right? 
and that's his name. And I encourage people to go to YouTube and type in his name and listen to what he says, because it's all coming from the peer reviewed published science. So the, the difference between what, what gave hormones a bad name was, uh, were these trials that used, um, and, and they, they basically data mined. And I don't know those of you out there that know science is data mining is not what you do when you're a scientist, but that's kind of what happened, unfortunately. And even, um, uh, one of the head investigators years later actually admitted to data mining. And so I won't, I won't go into the, the numbers and the research. I encourage people to go looking, uh, you know, like on, on YouTube and, and looking for information, but, the confusing thing right now anyway is there's a lot of information on both sides of the fence hormones are bad they cause cancer hormones are good they protect against cancer hormones are bad they cause cardiovascular disease hormones are good they prevent cardiovascular disease or protect so it's been my job since the early uh 2000s and the latter 1990s to really try and unpack based on you know my mentors what what really is going on and so when you look at the, at the research that has not been f- funded by a pharmaceutical company, but it's been, it's been funded by research institutions, the outcomes are very, very different. And the interesting thing to me is that I didn't learn about those when I was in medical school. I learned about the other stuff. So when you're going to medical school or you're a medical professional learning, unless you know like what camps to go learn from, you're going to get information that will, that scares, uh, in this case, postmenopausal and perimenopausal women, uh, it scares them. So, but one thing I'd like to say, and I've said this before on, on, uh, to you, Jared, is, you know, if, if hormones caused cancer, none of us would have lived beyond 30 years old because where our sex hormones, testosterone, DHEA, progesterone, estradiol, that, are, that we make in our bodies, when they crescendo, they're at their apogee in between about 18 and 23 years old. And then after that, unless we supplement with these, they're, they're going to, you know, slowly taper down. And, you know, that's part and partial of aging. It's my job to not normalize, but optimize those hormones in peri and uh, postmenopausal women because that's what protects, and this is the scientific literature, this is not my opinion, uh, it's, it protects against uh, dementia, heart attack, strokes, hip fractures, uh, cancer, and type 2 diabetes. That's what I call my six pillars. So if you know where to find the science, you'll see that that is what the science is actually saying. If you go to the fear-mongering science that's been published by, you know, and, 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 actually funded by large pharmaceutical companies it's it's the opposite you know and so you it, it it's it's quite simple to separate these two types of studies but you got to know where to find the studies that are not you know funded with a with an agenda right so then I'm curious because I don't want to stay too long on this topic either because I want to get into uh, you know more of the, where the rubber hits the road and why this matters but what do you think the deal is with the pharmaceutical companies uh, producing studies that would prevent people from using these types of medicines? That sounds kind of counterintuitive to me because they make these medicines. 
I agree. And, and there are a lot of opinions about that. And I, I will give you my opinion um, because I cannot prove anything, of course. But my opinion is after, after studying this since 1996 and seven, my very strong opinion is that if, if we keep you healthy, uh, you're not going to use as many drugs. So uh, uh, a naturally occurring hormone cannot be patented. You cannot patent estradiol. You cannot patent progesterone or testosterone. What you can patent is a delivery system. Or you can change some of the molecules so that it's not human bioidentical, ethanol, estradiol, medroxyprogesterone, testosterone, cypionate. These do not exist in, in, uh, in nature, but you can patent them and make money off them. But at the end of the day, if you really were to ask me personally, and I'm just being frank with your listeners, because I, I've been doing this a long time, and it's it's very clear to me as a practitioner that the agenda is is to keep women afraid and away from things that will help them, and then they're going to be using a lot more of the drugs that, that they wouldn't necessarily have to use if they were a lot healthier. Gotcha. So financially, uh, it, it's, well, basically it's still... Uh, boils down to finances and uh, how much yes. money can we make. Okay, so then let's talk about the word bioidentical because at Vitality, I have lots of women coming in with you know hormone questions and issues and things like that. Uh, and one of the questions they I hear all the time is, what does bioidentical mean? What's the difference between that and synthetic? Is it still manufactured synthetically? Does it come from natural source? All that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, this is something that I get into quite deeply with my patients because it's confusing to them. It isn't to you and I, but to somebody who doesn't study this stuff and, you know, hasn't really looked at it. When you say the word synthesized, that means synthetic. That means it doesn't exist in nature. Well, yes and no. A synthetic, what we, what you and I would call a synthetic hormone is something that doesn't exist in nature. It's made in a lab and it doesn't exist in nature. Testosterone cypionate does not exist in nature. Testosterone does. Ethanol estradiol does not exist in nature. Estradiol does. Mm -hmm. So where do the synthetics come from? A lab. But then so do the human bioidenticals. But in the lab, you can take the backbone of a steroid, uh, usually from soy, and that bothers some people, but it's like there's no soy protein in it. They extract the steroid backbone. There's four uh, carbon circles, if you will, okay? And that's what the backbone of any steroid is, whether it's testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, you know, androstenedione, you know, cortisol, doesn't matter. These molecules can be recreated in a lab, so they're synthesized in a lab, but back to what is existing in nature, which is human bioidentical. So... They simply take a steroid backbone, and if let's say we want to make estradiol, uh, the chemist then attaches certain side chains to be exactly the same as estradiol, human bioidentical. So if you were to take that estradiol or that testosterone or that progesterone or that DHEA to a liquid chromatographer or, or uh, uh, mass spectrometer or whatever, it would have exactly the same signature as the testosterone that's in your body or the estradiol that's in your body. So that's the difference between what people call synthetic and what some people call natural, or I don't like the word natural only because it doesn't go far enough in my world. I need to use the term 
human bio identical because it is it that molecule does exist in nature even though i made it in a lab i made it back to what does exist in nature and therefore the body not only recognizes it but uses it appropriately Okay, excellent. I love that explanation because I think that'll clear that up for a lot of people. So then um, let's talk a little bit about the different dosage forms. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you can poten potentially prescribe a bioidentical. There's uh, pellets that are actually, I, I believe they're injected into the body or, or placed just under the skin, if I understand correctly. Uh, there's creams, there's trochies, uh, which are uh, oral, kind of under the tongue sort of a thing, and pills. Uh, do you have a preference? Does it depend on the hormone? Does it depend on the patient? Explain that to us. Um, all of the above. But I, what I, the simplest way that I put it forth to my patients is, you know, gold standard, silver standard, bronze standard. Um, you know, people that are real money conscious, they don't want to spend a lot of money. They're, they're going to want me to put everything into one so that they save, uh, save money. And, I, and I'm happy to do that if that's because any hormone, especially as you age, any hormone is better than no hormone, right? So uh, it, they're, the putting it all into it. So the, let's let's back up. And you said trochee, oral forms, a pill, creams, pellets, and injectables. So let me let me start with the injectable uh, pellet. Um, I. I don't use them. I, I don't like it because there's no adjustment capability. So once it's in your hip or underneath your skin, it's in there and you just have to deal with it. And if you get a little bit too much estradiol, you just have to tell that woman, ooh, sorry, your nipples are so sore. You just put tape over them and wait a month. I mean, that's not really a great way <laughs> of going about it, you know. But yeah, so there's no adjusting, you know. You can at least, with the other forms of hormone, uh, the, or the other, um, like creams, for example, you can you can adjust. Uh, here, I got one right here. Just a matter of fact, this is this is called a toppy click, right? And there's the top of the toppy click, and there's a little tiny hole there, and you twist the base, and the cream comes out of the top. Well, you can you know one with this particular toppy click, one click is one quarter of a milliliter. So when I'm beginning patients, men or women, when I'm when they're newbies and they come to see me, I, I never, ever, ever give them the amount that I think they're going to need. I always start them a lot lower. With the testosterone, I use a cream. Why? Because it's the most effective. Um, you can use a trochee as well, and that's effective, but that kind of increases your dose too quickly under the tongue and then it comes down so you go through a 24-hour period having these spikes with a cream it's a little bit more even right mm -hmm. now with progesterone and estradiol um and this is again not only my clinical experience but also what the scientific literature says i always use progesterone at night in a postmenopausal woman or a perimenopausal woman and maybe we should at some point back up and explain what all that means. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, one of the main complaints of a menopausal woman going into perimenopause and then postmenopausal is they're not sleeping as deeply as they did before. And what oral progesterone does is makes you, it's, it's some, not, the term is somnolent. It, it 
it makes you kind of tired and a woman has an opportunity to spend a little bit more time in those deeper stages of sleep. And that will actually increase maybe not too much, but a little bit of their uh, human growth hormone. And, you know, after we stop growing at ages 16 to 20, you know, it growth hormone is no longer growth hormone. It's, it's repair hormone. So if we can get a, an aging woman to spend a little bit more time in the deeper stages of sleep, that's a very good thing. Now, estradiol is very different. Uh, it is in the scientific literature, it's quite clear that it's the oral form of estradiol that imparts the highest level of protection to the cardiovascular system. The transdermal, either under the tongue or on the skin, does not. So, you know, a lot of people use estrogen patches because they're convenient. Well, that's okay. Any estradiol as you're aging in postmenopausal time is better than none, but it does not impart the same uh, risk reduction as oral does. So my gold standard is to do testosterone in a cream, and I prefer the Topic Click, but other, there's other pumps, there's other types of devices. Uh, I just like the Topic Click because you can adjust it by quarter of a mil, right? And uh, I like the, I, I can put in the cream some DHEA, but DHEA is uh, dehydroepiandosterone is available. I give it to all my postmenopausal women and perimenopausal women, but it is uh, available over the counter. They can go over to Vitality and buy it right off the shelf. And there are some studies I, I, it, I've been talking to, I talked to a lot of compounding pharmacists and I think the consensus, cause I, uh, last year or the year before I did a, just by you know, what I'm calling in a, a prescription to whatever compounding pharmacy, I would just ask their opinion. So what, what have you seen in your scientific literature pharmacy? Is it, is it better in oral form or cream form? And some of them are 50-50, but I think I would have to say the best form would be oral. But for convenience, I might put the DHEA, which is an androgen like testosterone, in the cream with testosterone. Estradiol in a pill that is taken in the daytime for cardiovascular risk reduction and progesterone taken before you go to bed at night. Now, some people will say, I forget to do it at night. Can't you just put it all into one thing? I can't afford this. This is too expensive. To which I'll say, well, of course, would you rather me put it in a cream or a trochee, cocoa butter trochee or a natatrochee or a rapid dissolve tablet? I mean, there's all kinds of things that melt in the mouth, right? Um, and but But for my preference, not only from my clinical experience of 26 years, but also from the scientific literature, testosterone in a cream, DHA orally, over-the-counter, estradiol and progesterone orally. All right, excellent. Let me ask you a quick question on DHEA because I get this question a lot too. Um, what dose do you typically start a woman at? Five. Five milligrams, just once a day, yeah? Yep, and then I'll build her up over a month to about 25, and then we'll do the blood. Because DHEA, um, DHEA is the most ubiquitous sex hormone that men and women make. We make more DHEA, dehydroepiandosterone, than we do any of the other hormones. Um, and it's kind of a, a it, it, the body can turn it into whatever it wants to, really, um, the other hormones. But it's it's like three enzymatic steps away from testosterone. So people that take DHEA, they will see an increase in their testosterone. But, the, but the, then the question is, well, how much? I'll start a guy on like 25 and build up to 100 or whatever. But then when I measure it, I'll measure the, the testosterone and the, and the DHEA. I want that DHEA number to the upper, you know, upper high, high quote unquote reference range. 
maybe even a little bit over the reference range. All right. And so, and, and the only concern, I guess, with women, at least based on what I've heard with the DHA, if you get too much is you can start to get a little bit of side effect at a certain dose in some women. Uh, testosterone and, um, any of the androgens, testosterone or, or DHEA, they can cause acne, uh, hair growth where you don't want, uh, or even hair loss, male pattern baldness kind of thing. And it, it'll just keep, you know, make it work. And, and it can happen in women as, as well. And one of the most frustrating things for women, if they're taking an androgen or, or is, is hair loss. So, um, you know, these women that are, uh, I just had a patient yesterday who emailed the front desk and said, Hey, I'm, you know, Todd had prescribed, uh, you know, five milligrams of, or 2.5 milligrams of finasteride to block the dehydrotestosterone to stop the hair loss. And, um, she on her own, uh, started taking two 2.5s and it started slowing her hair loss. And she was super happy about that. Um, so I just called in five milligram caps or tablets for so um you know i don't i don't necessarily like finasteride but uh people complain women especially complain of hair thinning and that's a real pain in the butt acne um can be uh is not a huge issue but it can be i have a number of patients uh that that have like the cystic type very painful mm -hmm. acne and uh, I will prescribe a drug called spironolactone for, for these individuals. Um, it's it's a, a potassium-sparing diuretic, but it happens to interact with the, um, you know, with DHT to stop, help hair loss and acne. Okay. And so I, I think we've got that part all pretty clear. So let's talk about this because I think this is, uh, maybe another thing that needs to be understood a little bit more deeply by people listening. So first off, I, I correct me if I'm wrong in terms of what you see from your patients coming in in terms of their complaints, but I would anticipate that most women that are coming into you saying, hey, I want to you know, get some blood work done. I think my hormones are off. I think that's the most common term I hear is my hormones are off or my hormones are out of balance, right? So whatever that means, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And let's take a look at the blood and see what what's going on. But in terms of symptoms they're complaining about, generally speaking, uh, the things I hear are libido or lack thereof, um, emotional imbalances, depression, anxiety, uh, mood swings, that sort of thing, hot flashes and night sweats, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Uh, and then a lot of women are concerned about bone loss. Those are the big ones that I hear. But you keep mentioning to me, I've, I've heard you say this a bunch of times, you know, off the air, uh, cardiovascular protection and other things like that, that I don't think most women are even linking to hormone imbalance or hormone deficiency. So first, let's talk about the things that most women are coming in complaining about and what they can expect to see once they get their hormones in check with bioidentical hormones. And then I want to talk about the what I would consider to be maybe the side benefits of longevity and, and benefits that aren't often related specifically to the sex hormones, at least in people's minds. Yeah, it, it, I see and hear exactly what you hear, Jared. I mean, it's it's the same. Uh, dyspareunia, painful you know, intercourse, uh, uh, vaginal dryness, um, uh, urinary incontinence is a big one. Once a woman has had, you know, a number of children, uh, and you know, sneezes or coughs or can't jump on a trampoline, and this is very frustrating. 
so all of that can be, and there's, there's different ways of applying the, you know, like testosterone, for example. Um, I mean, there's just different ways of, of applying the cream, for example, that can help the pelvic floor muscles and stuff like that. So um, night sweats are huge. Uh, and the interesting thing is that hot flashes and night sweats, um, they, uh, I, I did kind of a deep dive a couple of years ago about like, where is this really coming from? And I won't go into too much detail right now, but it's absolutely fascinating. There's a, there's a place in your brain that, that, uh, in a, in a woman's brain that, well, male too, but we don't go through menopause. We go through andropause. Anyway, uh, there's a heat, there's a heat, uh, I call it our thermometer in our brain. And once estradiol begins to drop in perimenopause, the the communication between the molecules in the brain go haywire, and the brain says to the body, "Oh my gosh, you're really really hot," um, and so we need to to get some moisture out. We need to send the the moisture out of the sweat glands so you'll cool down, and then you and then they get cold because the inner core temperature inside the body isn't 98.6 that's what you get when you you know do it under the tongue or in the ear but you know as an ice nurse we used to have thermistors up rectums right and your comatose patients and so you're looking at the monitor and you're seeing real time honest to god uh like what is the temperature inside the body it's around 100 degrees right so the woman usually at night not always you know they their blood comes out to the outside of their body they radiate heat out and then the sweat glands go, oh my gosh, we got to cool you down. And then of course the core temperature has gone down and now they get cold and now they got to get back in the covers and they're all cold like that. So hot flashes and night sweats are a big one. Um, mood, mood changes, uh, depression, like you said, um, and, uh, la- and, and insomnia, uh, insomnia yeah. can be brutal, just brutal. And they, they just, they want, they wonder, they, they just don't feel like they used to. Right. Mm -hmm. And when they come and they tell me they're, and then of course, then all the thought, you know, tired in the morning, tired in the afternoon, all that kind of stuff. But they're, it isn't just the sex drive. It's their ability to reach climax. Right. It's not just the sex drive. It's an inability to have intercourse because their vaginal dryness is so brutal that they actually rip and tear. I mean, you know, that's, that's horrible. Mm -hmm. So all of these things can be improved. And so these are the questions I have to ask my patients because what we had alluded to before is brain protection, bone protection, heart protection, vessel protection, protection against cancer, protection against type 2 diabetes. Well, you can't ask a brain cell how, how protected it feels. Uh, you can't ask a heart cell, you know, hey, how protected do you feel, right? But you can ask them, hey, are you happier now? Do you feel, you know, are you are you cognitively a little bit more sharp at work or things clicking a little bit better um, over two to six to eight, 10 months? Hey, have you noticed your muscles are getting a little bit more firm? Um, and, you know, of course, libido, everybody, everybody is quite aware of their libido. And so that's one of the first things they'll report. Hey, I, I am feeling a change in, in libido. And that's uh, those questions when they start being more affirmative, that gives me the, and then we do the numbers, of course, uh, in the blood occasionally. And so it's, it, this is the way I describe it to my patients. My patients are like a teeter-totter. Here's a teeter-totter. And on this side of the teeter-totter, there are the numbers on paper that are associated in the scientific literature for protection in those six areas that I've mentioned, brain, heart, vessels, bones, cancer, and type 2 diabetes. But on this side of the teeter-totter, there are the numbers, 
or I mean, there's the, sorry, uh, the, how the patient is responding. Like, right. do they, do they have acne? Do they have, uh, hair loss? Do they have hair gain where they don't want it? Do they, you know, are they having breast tenderness? Do they have signs and symptoms of PMS? Cause some people, when you start, uh, postmenopausal women, even on very small amounts of estradiol, they can experience PMS-like symptoms like they did when they were younger before their menses. Um, and all of this, you know, is workable. It's, it's, I, these are, I work with these things every day, all day long, basically. But there's some people that have such a negative response that you can't get their doses of certain things up to a, as protective as I'd like them. An example of that and uh, this is rather interesting to me over the years, I've had, because I start people quite low uh, on hormones and build them up slowly because of, I want to get their cells, their, their cells, a lot, of, a lot of cells in our bodies have receptor sites to all these hormones. And I want to downregulate, I want to I get those receptor sites to lower down to the numbers where you were when you were about 25 years old, right? And then we adjust the numbers rather quickly. Well, you know, with some people, uh, not very many, but with some people, you know, with testosterone, especially, they start getting pretty aggressive. Um, and, y you know, it's funny because in my practice, for whatever reason, I, I hardly ever see that in men, ever, uh, maybe one out of 100 men. But I see it not, not infrequently in women, which is just very curious to me. So with these individual women who have very strong personalities and they get a little grumpy when they're taking a little bit too much testosterone, I can't get them to where I want to, to be cardio, to be cardiovascularly protective and brain protective, but I can get them like maybe halfway there. That's better than nothing. And so basically what you're really saying is, and I think this is, might be the best takeaway from this whole conversation uh, up to this point, is that this really is an area where, uh, how do I say this? Uh, <laughs> As a guy who basically says, as much as I can, I'm going to try and do it on my own uh, versus, you know, going out and, and uh, seeing a doctor over everything that, you know, is a thing. Uh, this is one area where it makes a lot of sense to consistently have monitoring uh, by a doctor that you trust that actually uh, is looking at things in a more holistic way. Uh, and doing the bioidentical uh, approach, which is the safest approach to this, and really watching that combination. Because one of the things that I love about working with you personally as, as my physician is that you are always asking me how I feel. It's not just this is what your blood says, so this you know that must equal you're doing great. It's this is what your blood says, but how do you feel? And that combination of watching the blood work and also watching the patient themselves uh, is, is such a critical thing, especially when it comes to hormones, because with hormones, as we know, balance is everything. It's not the numbers don't necessarily tell the whole story of what's going on with balance uh, for that individual's body. Uh, absolutely. And, and I use the word uh, I use the word optimize. Um, I don't appreciate the word normalize because, you know, I mean, normal relative to what? Right. Uh, no, I, and, and balancing, I, I hardly ever use the term balancing only because, I mean, I will hear that term coming from my patient and what I will then reflect back to them is a question. Can you describe to me what you mean by balancing? What does balancing mean to you? 
And basically what it means to them is what I mean when I say optimize. They want to feel better. Right. They want to have a better love life. They want to have better mood. They want to have a healthier body. They want, they just want to feel better uh, and be happier and in being more engaged in life. And so if they are comfortable with the term balancing, that's fine. I, I'll reflect that back to them. In my world, though, it's about optimization. It is not about normalization. I'm going to be 69 in April. And you and I joke around. It's like, if you were my doc and I, and you asked me, hey, would you like normal testosterone for a 69-year-old or optimal for a 25-year-old? What do you think I'd say? And, and it's not just for my libido, it's for all the, you know, like, you know, my family has a very strong cardiovascular um, issue. All, all of my living siblings uh, and myself have got AFib. I mean, I, my atrial fibrillation didn't come on until a couple of years ago. Um, and that's about the same time it happened to all my other siblings. It's just, you know, we think it came from mom. We don't know, you know. But I, and I'm, I don't have it all the time, so I hardly ever have it, but occasionally it happens. So, you know, I'd like to, nobody gets out of life alive. We're all going to gain our wings at some point. But, you know, if I have a choice of what I can do about it, I'm going to have, you know, my practitioner continue to, to prescribe testosterone for me. And I'm going to have, you know, my wife continue to be prescribed estradiol, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA. And, you know, the, I call it rectangularizing the curve because as we age, um, you know, and our, and our, our hormones start to, you know, kind of come down and ebb, our, our health line follows it. It follows it down. And that's why by the time we're, you know, 60, 70, 80, we're depressed, we're lethargic, we're, you know, we don't, you know, our give a crap meters, you know, and our bones are fragile and our muscles are shrinking and, you know, we can't think straight. It's like, look, sex hormone replacement therapy, human bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is the best way I know to bring that line back up to the health where it was when you were 25. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I agree. It's one of those things that is, unfortunately, there's so much controversy about it. And there are so, as, as a group, I would say physicians in general aren't, in my view anyway, aren't doing it right. And so a lot of women don't get the results that they're looking for. So let's, let's approach that. You consider yourself to be in the, you know, functional medicine uh, realm. Uh, you are a uh, different kind of doctor versus the average doctor on the average HMO plan or whatever out there. What are you seeing in terms of, you know, in the past on in these conversations, Todd, we've talked about what you learned in medical school versus what you had to learn once you got out of medical school in terms of how to treat this. How are women being treated in a, in kind of a standard of care in America versus what you're doing? Um, in most medical schools, I don't know about today because I'm I'm hearing encouraging things from patients that are seeing some other people, even in HMO. Uh, it's getting a little bit better than it was, say, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, in other words, um, I'm I'm having more people, uh, postmenopausal women, who say go in to get their Pap smear because I encourage them to continue to do it. Maybe not every year, but maybe every other year. Um, and some of their uh, uh, gynecologists are fine with them taking hormone. Uh, most aren't because they're old school and they're, they're, they got taught the same thing that I got taught. 
um, that, you know, postmenopausal women should avoid hormones because over, and there's this magic five years thing. They'll, they'll be told, well, if you're going to do it, you know, if you have hot flashes and night sweats, only do it for five years and then stop because your increased risk of cancer and heart disease is there. And it's like, well, if you, if you, if you, on, if you take an honest look at the existing scientific literature around this, you'll see that that's coming from the studies that are erroneous in the first place. So if you know where to look, and uh, you know, I showed that book to you guys just a little bit ago, um, and you know, like something as simple as spending 15 minutes a, an evening on YouTube listening to Dr. Ruzier talk about, say, hormones and cancer, or you know, hormones and aging, um, you'll you'll get a completely different viewpoint. So I think it's still really unfortunate that I would say at this point, still most physicians trained, you know, even though I went to an alternative medical school, they still taught us the same run of the mill endocrinology about everything from thyroid to sex hormones. And so, yeah, you, you have to find, I had to find my mentors that were thinking outside of the box. And then I found mentors that followed the scientific literature very, very closely and that you know, know the, the scientific literature better than than the doctors out there that are saying these negative things. So it it's the, the confusing thing is that the lay individual is stuck in the middle. Um, they don't know who to believe, right? So that's why I never I tell them don't believe me, uh, because this is not about my opinion. And then I give them resources where they can go and learn. They don't have to become, you know, hormone experts, but I want them to learn enough and do so with their, their partners and family members so that the family members will not continue the fear mongering because if the family member, especially if the family member is a lay uh, pharmacist or a, uh, uh, you know, just an MD or DO that, that studied at a, a, you know, average medical school USA, they're, they're probably going to have been taught just like I was taught. So you kind of have to unlearn that stuff, but to unlearn it, you've got to find people that are, that are based in scientific fact, not opinion, but scientific fact. And the sad thing is, um, I'll give you one very strong uh, example. And then, uh, so, so many years ago, so, so when women, when women are diagnosed with, with uh, breast cancer, especially if it's estrogen positive, not only are they encouraged to go on chemotherapy and, and have surgery and, and probably, you know, for sure, I agree with the surgery. If, if, if it's something that can be removed by God, remove it. But, but then they're put on a drug called tamoxifen. Now tamoxifen is an estradiol receptor site blocker, estrogen receptor site blocker. The woman becomes aged overnight. Her vagina dries up. She's at much higher risk of dementia, heart attack, stroke, and hip fracture, and she's miserable, right? But in the oncological scientific literature, again, this is not my opinion, Dr. Blooming wrote a whole book about it, and it's called Estrogen Matters. And there's one drug to treat an estrogen-sensitive breast cancer, and it's estradiol. And it's in their own scientific literature. This is simply a book written by an oncologist from England whose wife was diagnosed with an estrogen-sensitive tumor in her breast at age 45. So the oncologists don't even know their own uh, 
scientific literature. And this is just a compilation very specifically around breast cancer, hmm. about how estradiol can... But you see, so there's fear-mongering out there. If you went to an oncologist and said, hey, I'm going to take estradiol after I had breast cancer, they would have kittens, Jared. They would have freaking <laughs> kittens because it's in their it's in their board certification that they're going to give tamoxifen. Mm-hmm. But they haven't read their own literature. So this is the kind of thing that is that women are up against out there. They're getting opinion from this side and opinion from that side. They don't know who to ask. Yeah, and who to trust. Yeah, yep. and so then it behooves us to do what I always say on Vitality Radio, and that is do your own research. Don't take Dr. Cameron's word for it. Don't take mine. Don't take uh, your own MDs. Uh, get out there. Get your evidence. Uh, and do also, I think, that, that it can ever be overstated, uh, listen to yourself and uh, what you believe is best for you when you're looking into these things that are a little bit controversial. So I don't have much more time with you, Dr. Cameron. We had a bit of a rough start getting this <laughs> this episode record, <laughs> recorded, uh, and I want to respect your time and whichever patient might be waiting for you right now. Um, so just give us maybe your last bit of takeaway uh, for people listening Women who are in that, you know, perimenopause, menopausal, postmenopausal uh, area that are concerned about their uh, not just the symptoms that they're having, but also the longevity of life and and uh, getting their self themselves optimized. What steps do you recommend they take? Um, real quick, um, I do not even measure estradiol or progesterone uh, in a pre-menopausal woman um, because the numbers are all over the map. So if you're tempted to see what your progesterone and estrogen are and you are still cycling, even if it's irregularly irregular, save your money. Don't do it. Of course, you want to know what the testosterone is and the thyroid and all that stuff. But the only woman I really want to know uh, where their estradiol and progesterone are is a post menopausal woman. So when you're in your reproductive years, you're premenopausal. When you're beginning to go into menopause, what women call menopause, that is what is technically termed perimenopause. It's adolescence in reverse. If you ovulate, you bleed. If you don't, you don't. You become more irregularly irregular. When your FSH and LH are high, then you know you're postmenopausal, and that's when I start treating women with testosterone. Well, they're already on testosterone and DHEA, and maybe some progesterone. I put a lot of women on progesterone for a lot of different reasons when they're not postmenopausal. But once I know that they're postmenopausal, they're on estradiol. So um, during and and I use progesterone uh, symptomatically. I I it's very very safe. I mean, dude, I got a 95-year-old patient that's on 600 milligrams a night to help her sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And it helps. It doesn't solve the problem, but she's getting about twice the amount of sleep she was before she came to see me. Um, Like, we're talking from 1.5 to 2 hours to, like, 4 hours. Mm -hmm. Not very – so so it's it's like, you know, don't just throw money at labs. Um, Talk to somebody that understands – when do you want to do the labs and when do you not want to do and which labs are you going to do? Because if they're not actionable, if they don't give you information that will, will uh, cause you to make a different treatment decision, then why are you running that lab? You're just wasting the patient's money, right? So don't just knee jerk to labs. Testosterone, of course. Thyroid, of course. 
but estradiol and progesterone and tell your postmenopausal no. And the last thing I'll say about this is since, since 2016, we, we were taught in med school, there's two ways of uh, diagnosing a postmenopausal woman. One is uh, clinically, you can say, oh, you haven't had a period for a year, therefore you're postmenopausal, we can start treating you. Uh, I, I don't do that anymore because being anovulatory, not ovulating, and therefore not bleeding, is very different than being postmenopausal. And our midwife that birthed our now 29-year-old and 25-year-old sons, um, she actually helped a 53-year-old woman deliver a baby. So, you know, if you're 52 and 51, 53, 54, and you haven't had a cycle for a year, don't just assume you're postmenopausal. You, you may be or you may not be. The only way I diagnose it now, Jared, and I've learned my lesson, is to run the follicle-stimulating hormone and the luteinizing hormone. Run them. If they're high, if they haven't had a period for a year and they're high, you are postmenopausal. Here's your estradiol, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA. All right. And, uh, and, and if they're low, then you're saying you they're are, not there yet. They're not there yet. Okay. So ease off, ease off on the estradiol. There's caveats to that for sure. Um, I, I have really good luck treating perimenopausal women that have hot flashes and night sweats with progesterone only. Occasionally I do have to use a little estradiol and I'm fine with that. Um, but, but mostly I don't. Um, I'm, I'm treating everybody with testosterone cause everybody's low. I'm man or woman, just everybody's low. Um, and it's the, uh, it's the unfortunate, uh, you know, the, the, the reference ranges on, on the lab forms are low as well. And that's because everybody's low. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the, the, the most important thing I think to get out of this last little bit is it, it, don't, especially if you don't know your postmenopausal, just don't throw money at estradiol and progesterone tests at this time. Let's make sure I'll, I'll treat you with progesterone symptomatically. You got PMS like symptoms. Here you go. You got night sweats, hot flashes. Here you go. Um, the the last thing I'll say about the, because you and I were going to, uh, before this conversation, I want to make clear the difference between the phytoestrogens the, the herbs that interact with estradiol receptor sites and estradiol. Uh, phytoestrogens are great at reducing symptoms like, you know, pms stuff or night sweats or whatever, but they don't protect. They do not protect brain, heart, vessels, bones. Okay. So symptom relief versus uh, protection, which is obviously yes. a big deal. So then uh, for people that are interested, you're in Mill Creek, which is uh, essentially Salt Lake City, Utah. For people that are listening locally on the radio or that live here in the area listening to the podcast, uh, we'll have uh, Dr. Cameron's um, contact information in the show description. Uh, and you can look it up, CameronWellness.com. Uh, do I have that right? It's uh, Cameron Wellness Center. Uh, dot net. Oh, dot net. Okay. Center dot net. Uh, or frankly, if you're in the area and Google Cameron Wellness, it'll pop right up first thing on Google. I've done it many times. Um, but for people that are out of this area uh, and are interested in working with you, you do some telemedicine, do you? Yes. Uh, I, I am required to see the patient once, do a physical exam, you know, pull the blood, do that kind of stuff. So they have to come into town, come to the clinic one time. Uh, after that, I, yeah. Okay. I can, 
And any suggestions for people that want to find someone who does what you do or looks at things a little more like you do in their local area? Is there a... Absolutely. Go to worldlink.com, worldlink.com, and uh, they will. there will be a list of providers. Uh, I think you can do it by area code, I think. It's been a while since I've been on there, but... Uh, or, I mean, what, what do you call it? Zip code? You know, po- yeah, zip code, postal <laughs> code. Thank you. Yep. Um, and, uh, and some, uh, any, any doc that's been trained, uh, under world link will have essentially the same sort of background scientifically that I do. Um, cause world link, uh, through Dr. Rousier, there's four levels of education. Um, uh, there's levels, uh, and I, and, and a lot of us just keep recycling through them over the years. Um, to pick up little pearls and any new science that's out. Okay, awesome. All right, well, Dr. Cameron, again, always a wealth of information. I know that uh, we're running way behind, so I'm going to let you get out of here. But thank you so much for your time. Hope to have you on again very soon. You bet, Jared. You know me, man. I love it. Thanks. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. See ya. All right, so that was Dr. Todd Cameron, my personal physician. He has helped a lot of my uh Uh, customers at Vitality Nutrition over the years with all kinds of things, but uh, definitely, especially, uh, I send people there when they are concerned about their hormone health, and uh, I feel like he is a wealth of information. I hope this was beneficial for you. I also want to remind you of one thing that we didn't get into that I think is extremely valuable, and that is wiping out as much as possible the toxic uh, fake estrogens, xenoestrogens that come from the environment. Um, This can be done with things like DIM, uh, deglucurate, indole-3-carbinol, and uh, regular liver uh, detoxification. All of that is very, very valuable at balancing hormones as well. And I'd be remiss to not mention uh, products like EstroSense and things like that to potentially use in addition to hormone replacement therapy or even instead of, uh, at least initially, to see what type of balance your body can get on its own once you eliminate those chemicals from the body. Uh, I've got some other shows that talk about that specifically. We'll link those in the show description. Uh, that's all I've got for you today. If you have questions, call us 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or check us out, vitalitynutrition.com. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair. our awesome music is by brian bob young support vitality radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on apple podcasts youtube or your favorite podcast source Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.